0: Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Attic podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. I'm joined with two of my good friends, Randy and Ali, and we are going to discuss John chapter 21 tonight. Which is uh, the book of John is the Gospel John is like one of the greatest books of the Bible. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I don't know what about you guys. What do you think, Randy? What do you think about the Gospel of John?
1: Well, it's absolutely one of my favorite books and uh there's just so much unique stuff in it. It's so different than than uh the other gospels. Um yeah, I mean, it's from whether the I am statements or uh you know, Jesus talking about life and light and love. So yeah, it's a, it's an incredible uh incredible book of the Bible.
0: Yeah, so Ali, how are you tonight?
2: Uh, I'm doing pretty good. What I do remember from John 21 is in the very early days when we met and we were doing Bible study, I remember you shared the story of the the fish. The fish story is in the John chapter 21. Yes. Where Jesus goes uh, fishing with other, other people. So I still remember that story and how much uh, impact it left on me when you shared. And those are like, I remember it was twenty seventeen November, twenty seventeen when we when you used to pick up in that uh, huge white van and take all of us and then do the Bible study together later. So that's that's where I remember that you know we did that we did that the Bible study and you shared the story.
0: That's amazing. It's amazing because I don't remember that. I mean, I remember. <laughs> I remember picking it, picking you guys up in the van and everything, but I don't remember specifically studying that passage, but it's so cool that you remember that, Ali. It, yes. it is one of the, it's a really cool chapter. And here's the thing that's kind of interesting, guys, is if you look at that, if you look at the end of chapter 20 of the book of John, it's almost like he ended the book because the very last two verses, he kind of summarizes his whole purpose in writing it. So if you look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And and I, I love that verse 31, that very last verse, you know, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's like the perfect ending to a book. But for some odd reason, he writes another chapter. And I don't know, off the top of your head, Randy, do you have any ideas why John would write another chapter?
1: Well, it's interesting because in one of the commentaries I recently looked at on this, uh, there was some disagreement about that and why. But one of the things that they said is that that, uh, the author believed that the same author, John, when he had finished, realized there was something he wished he had said. And so it was almost like a PS in a letter, like, oh, and by the way. And so it almost has that feel to it, that John, the author, was thinking, oh, and, and we understand that the scriptures are are double authored. that God doesn't take away the author's ability to write, but speaks through those authors to us in the scriptures. And so uh, just as one thought, Greg, is that John realized, hey, there's more I want to say. And maybe that's how we get the story of Peter.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that I think that John realized, well, let's put it this way. If you didn't have John chapter 21, it would be kind of interesting because um, the end of book of John, end of John, the next book chronologically is Acts. Um, so in, in the book of Acts, you see Peter as a hero and he's preaching and thousands of people are turning to to Jesus. He's doing all these great things. And if he didn't write John chapter 21, it might people might be scratching their heads a little bit because they might be like, well, wait a minute, the last time I heard about Peter, he denied Jesus three three times and he looked like a utter utter failure. And so it does seem like John, after he wrote the end of chapter 20, he um, was inspired to kind of um, explain what happens with Peter. And that's what makes this uh, chapter so exciting. So I'm going to go ahead and we're just going to read a little, um, read some and then, then make some comments on it. So chapter 21, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, okay, there you go. Peter's on the scene. Thomas, also known as Didymus. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee the sons of zebedee and two other disciples were together now right there i just want to make a comment there's seven disciples present at this meeting and if you know anything about the book of john for some reason the the number 7 is a is a very important number to him because there's like the seven miracles of john the seven i am statements of john and here you have seven disciples gathered together um at this meeting and then uh in verse three, Jesus uh, or, or Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Um, and they said, Well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So let's stop there for a second. What do you, you, I don't know if you have any thoughts about Peter um, saying, I'm going out to fish. You know, before he started following Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. That was his like that was his, uh, uh, career.
1: Livelihood, yeah.
0: Yeah. His livelihood. And, uh, do you think there's anything here that, you know, when he says I'm going out to fish and then, and then, uh, and then the other guy said, yeah, we'll go join you.
1: I, I think a couple of things, I think Peter's been through so much right now. Um, with the denial of Christ and the crucifixion and, and now the stories of the resurrection. And I think Peter just wanted to go do something he knew. I think he wanted to go back and do something that was comfortable. I've actually heard some people talk about that this was right for Peter to do. And other people have thought this was wrong. That Peter was going back to rely on himself. I I get the idea that Peter just wanted uh, some peace. You know, he's out on the lake. There's no one around. Uh, he can fish doing something he's known and done his whole life. And uh, maybe spend some time thinking. But I I get the idea that Peter just wants to kind of do something he knows. So that because it's been so intense and so hard the last couple of weeks.
0: So you don't feel like it was either right or wrong. It was just he was doing what he knows. He was he was. Uh, yeah, you know. One, one thing to, one thing that you see in this passage is how peter is a leader um because he says i'm going to i'm going to fish and all, immediately the other guys say well i want to go with you um i'm coming with you and i think we peter gets a bad rap i heard a guy <laughs> say recently that um in heaven there's going to be a lot of pastors that are going to have to apologize to peter because you know because we we tend to throw Peter under the bus, um, especially with those three denials. But if you remember back to that that night when uh, Judas identifies Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter had a sword with him, and he was willing he was willing to die for Jesus. So he had a tremendous amount of courage um, at that point, and and you know. He didn't have he wasn't a good swordsman because he ended up cutting the guy's ear instead of like hurting him. But and then Jesus healed the guy's ear. But I think we we often will just kind of make paint Peter out to be sort of a coward. But we, we've we got to remember, he was a, he was very courageous. And even here, you see his leadership ability. Randy, what did you want to say?
1: No, thanks, Greg. I, I, two things. One. Peter's the only one that went to the trial of Jesus. Um, he's the only one that's there. And so you can talk about, yeah, he denied Christ, but he did. He was in the courtyard. He was there. Like, you got to give him a little credit for that. But the thing that impacts me on this is, in, the, in as John writes, the end of chapter 20, he's talking about Thomas. Now, Thomas has also done some incredible things. Like, at one point, he says, let's go... Back to Bethany where we can die with Jesus. He's willing to go be with Jesus and die. But what is Thomas known for? Doubting Thomas, right? That I won't believe unless I can put my fingers in the holes of of his side. The last thing he does in verse chapter 20 is John recognizes where Thomas says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. So Thomas kind of redeems himself a little bit here, too. The very next passage is the story about Peter's reconciliation. Like So John's ending with both of these guys kind of like uh, showing there's a different side to both of them.
0: That's a great point. That's a great point. So let's continue <laughs> on at verse 4. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Now, this is the resurrected Jesus. This is after he rose from the dead. He stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. So he called out to them this is kind of interesting that what he says to them he says friends haven't you any fish which i guess you know people will say that's the last thing you want to ask a fisherman a group of fishermen <laughs> because if you're if you're a fisherman you know a lot of times most of the time you're not really catching many fish but you 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 don't want to have to tell people that you haven't caught anything yet um so they say no they answered and then he said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And here's the amazing thing. They did it. So when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because it, because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish that you have just caught." So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three.
2: I feel like Jesus kind of knew that they're not going to get any fish. So that is what really stands out to me, that he actually knows everything that's happening and everything that's going to happen. That's why he he goes and said that, you know, throw the net on the other side. That's where the fish is. Now, what I'm confused about or maybe I'm not sure about is Did he put the fish there or did he knew that the fishes are there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is a good question. That's a great question. Well, let's back up a second. Some people will say there's two miracles in this passage. The first miracle is that they obeyed him, you know, because fishermen tend to be um, pretty stubborn people. They, They especially if you're if you're a professional fisherman, you tend to know where the fish are, when to when to fish. And they had already fished on the one side of the boat and didn't catch anything. So when some, at this point, a stranger says throw it on the other side of the boat, apparently these nets were not easy to move around. And so it was a big deal that for them to like chain, move the nets to the other side of the boat. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they did it is like the first miracle people will, some some have said, and then the second miracle is the, is a miraculous catch that they caught 153 <laughs> fish which um that's kind of interesting that they counted them um and there's different theories about that yeah this, that's what
2: i was also wondering like why 153 why that number i was also wondering why that specific number
0: well i think that um because that's how many they caught um mm-hmm. so if you were to if you were to catch If you were a fisherman, I mean, they'd never, never probably caught this many fish in their life. And so it would make you want to count them, you know? So, so my, my first inclination is that the reason it's a, it says 153 is because they caught 153, but there are other theories to that. Like there's a theory that at that time it was known, it was known that there were 153 different types of fish. Um, in some journal some sort of um ancient fisherman journal um i don't know if you've ever heard this theory randy um
1: i have yeah
0: yeah and that and so it basically because the fish sort of represent what they're going to be doing um the way they're going to impact people like um that God is going to change, you know, he's going to make them from fisher, fishers of fish to fishers of men, and he wants them to reach men of every tribe, nation, tongue, language, and so basically everybody, you know, the good news of Jesus is for everybody, so here you have, if this is true, that 153 represents every known different type of fish, that it kind of is a points you towards the the fact that they were going to go on and try to reach all peoples from every every nation. I don't know that I buy that. My tendency is to think that the reason it says 153 is because they caught 153.
1: But what, what's amazing about that to me is that someone took the time to count them and someone was so concerned. And so John, who wrote this, one, if you're a fisherman, you want to tell everybody. You know how fishing stories get bigger and bigger? Like, I caught the and it started. But John wants to be so accurate in what he writes. And in many ways, this gives me confidence that what John is writing is accurate. Because he wants to be accurate to the point of the exact number of fish that were caught. And I thought about it, Like, as a fisherman, he would remember that. John was a fisherman as well. And he would remember That was unbelievable. We caught 153. Like, that's incredible. But to me, the fact that he was so precise in that he recorded that number, he could have said it was just a huge number, like, right? Yeah. And that would have been accurate. It would have been right. But he counted them one by one. And to me, that's telling me how precise. It gives me confidence in the gospel that this is accurate.
0: Well, there's so many details that he mentions. I mean, he mentions, look at verse nine. He says, when they landed, they already saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it with some bread. Now, it's kind of interesting. Jesus was already cooking fish. Uh, you know, he already had fish. So he he didn't need fish. He didn't need, you know, um, and there's just, there's so much detail in here. Um It mentions, you know, that Peter had taken off his garment and uh, how he had to put it back on and jumped it when he jumped into the water and how they didn't even recognize who Jesus was until, uh, you know, verse seven. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. So there's some really cool um, detail here. Um,
1: If we hit that. So, first of all, why would they recognize him? I mean he's he's been crucified like I they're in in um they've left Jerusalem and so I think for them it was like hey I just want to get out on the water I don't you know they're looking across the lake trying to see who it is I wouldn't I don't know that they would have expected Jesus to be there but if you go to Luke 5 uh starting at verse four I think this story mirrors the call of the disciples. So this was how Peter came to follow Jesus. Isn't it interesting? This is how Jesus reinstates Peter, but it's just like when he first called them. In Luke 5, you know, Peter's preaching and, you know, they worked all night and hadn't caught a fish. And then Jesus sends him back out, which is amazing that he was willing to go back out after cleaning his nets and working all night. And he hauls in a huge catch. I think that's incredible. And and one other thing, uh, Greg, I was going to mention, I've heard a lot of people make a lot out of the fact that Jesus put on his clothes to jump in the, or uh, Peter put on his clothes to jump in the water. And how funny that is does. But if you imagine he probably had one set of clothes. And so if he's fishing at nighttime, he doesn't want to ruin his only good clothes, the only clothes he has. So he takes them off basically fishing in his, in his boxers, and so he fishes at night. Um, he's fishing, and when he realizes Jesus, he's not going to jump in and leave the only clothes he has behind. If that's all you have, you you know, you keep it with you, right? So he grabs it and puts it back on and jumps in the. I, to me, it makes total sense. It's like you know, he he was he had one set of clothes. He was gonna he didn't want to ruin them at night, and now he's jumping in the water to go to Jesus. But I love the fact that. Peter was going to do whatever he had to do to get to Jesus. I love that.
0: Yeah. I also heard another commentator make a, uh, make the point in verse nine. It says that, you know, they saw uh, this fire with burning coals and fish on it. That The, the, the whole idea of the fire and burning coals, the last time Peter was around fire and burning coals was, was when he denied Jesus. Um, you know, when he was trying to warm himself by the fire there. But um, yeah, it's an amazing, and this is where it gets really um, interesting. Um, as we move into verse 15. So he, and basically, Jesus invites these seven disciples to breakfast. But he has a special reason for doing it, and it's really all about Peter. So we pick up in verse 15, it says, When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Um, let's stop there for just one second. Um, so Jesus is asking Simon, do you love me more than these? What do you think the these is? More than these fish? Or more than, is he pointing to the fish or is he pointing to the other disciples with him? Does it even matter? Any thoughts? I feel
2: like, I feel like he is... Referring to the disciples, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but that's what I feel like. And it's it's kind of interesting that if you look at uh, every time, you know, Jesus is having a conversation with one of his disciples or any other person, he actually knows the answer <laughs> before he asks the question. But he is striking a conversation to teach a lesson. That's how I feel like. After, yes. after reading it, which is very nice, because, like, imagine if any other person, including me, and, you know, sometimes uh, when you know the answer, you actually just jump to the answer instead of, like, trying to find a path to explain the whole idea. You can't do that. But Jesus had that wisdom. And I think that's why he was such a great teacher, that he knew how to teach.
0: Yeah, Oh, you're, a, he's, he was amazing, amazing teacher. Yeah. Um So when he says, do you love me more than these, let's just explore these two possibilities. Let's say, let's say, for example, it was the fish. Let's say mm-hmm. that Jesus is standing around the fire and he says, do you love me more than these? And he's pointing to the pile of 153 fish. Okay. What would he be communicating to Peter? He's, he, he, he may basically is pointing out to him, like, you know, you were a fisherman. That was your, that was your identity. That was your job. That was your career is, is fishing for fish. Um, and, you know, so maybe Jesus is saying, you know, do you love me more than, uh, than your, your job? You well, know? I think,
2: yeah, now that I read, I've read a little bit further, I realize that it's the
0: fishes. Yeah. Well, I don't, I actually, <laughs> Ali, I, I think I don't, I would say, I don't know. I don't really? know what you would say, Randy, if you have a strong conviction one way or the other, because I think both of them, I think actually both of them, there's good cases for both of them. And I'm not sure that it matters whether it was the fish or the other disciples. So, Randy, you're on mute.
1: Of course I am. Sorry <laughs> about that. No, in verse 21 at the End of this chapter, when Jesus is asking him three times, Do you love me? Peter points to John and says, Well, what about him? We like, and he's comparing himself. And so that makes me think that Jesus is pointing to the disciples at this point, saying, Do you love me more? Because John's already got this comparison thing going. Or, I mean, sorry. Peter's got this comparison thing going, and, and to the point with John, where he brings it up here at the end. So, uh, um, yeah, th- that's my thought. But you know what's amazing yeah. is is that both of them uh, have a truth to them, don't they? They so, do.
0: Yeah. I mean, but, a true a truth that can apply to us today. Because right. how many people find their identity, or basically, they love their job more than they love God? Oh, a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. and how many of that, how many other people, you know, are constantly struggle with just comparing themselves and wanting to be somebody else rather than just accepting who they, who they are. And so, so um, I just want to, yeah, to go along your, your uh, line of thought, Randy, if he's pointing to the other disciples, do you love me more than these and pointing to the disciples? There's a good case for that because in the gospels remember how many times they they were caught arguing who's the greatest? Right. <laughs> so these disciples were were very competitive with one another and they were they, they were always like, "Well, I'm going to sit at the right hand of Jesus, you know." So they had this kind of competitiveness around them. So there's a strong case that it was the disciples. But I think both both of them illustrate a truth. And I guess if I if I had to guess, I would say that, that these represented the disciples. Um, but let me continue reading on, and then we'll keep talking about this. So it says, back to verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John. Do you love me? Now, this time he just says, do you love me? He doesn't say, do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So let's pause there for a second. So there we go. Three times. So I don't know if you remember Ali, but in uh, the garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus um, goes to the cross, Peter denies him three times. Um, he People keep coming up to him and says, Hey, you're, you were with Jesus. Right. And he's like, no, I wasn't. And yeah. he, he, he denies him three times. And, and actually, like you were mentioning earlier, Jesus already told Peter before he denied him one time, Jesus Peter basically says to Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. I'm, I'm going, you know, I'm all in with you. I will, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for you. And then Peter, then Jesus turns to Peter and says, "Um, you, you say that you're all in with me, but you're going to deny me three times. And yeah, he already so knew. He told him that he was going to deny him three times. And then hours later, he, he does. He denies him three times. And then it says that um, on the third time, um, he, he breaks down and, and weeps. So he was kind of a broken man. Um, kind of, you could say he walked away from Jesus at that point. And, uh, you know, so, and I know, you know, Ali, you've gone through a, a short period of time where you walked away from Jesus. Um, and... Did you feel that way when you came back? Like, oh my gosh, you know, is he gonna take me back? Is he gonna still love me?
2: Uh, I think there is always that doubt in your head where you feel like, <laughs> have I committed a you know unforgivable mistake? Where you feel like, but then you also think about it that God you know, whatever mess up you make, God is always there for you. So, and I think sometimes as human beings, we also kind of take advantage of that, where mm. we, we, you know, knowing that it's a sin, we still go ahead and commit it. And I think that's just the human in us, you know, mm. um, and it happens. Everybody has had that weak moment where even when you know that it's not the right thing to do, you end up doing it. And I think uh, God being the greatest still forgives us. So yeah, Yeah. it was also for me at that time, it was not about, you know, wondering where will God accept me again or not? It was more about redemption with God. Mm. So I was not even thinking about will God accept me? I just wanted him in my life rather than, You know, going to him. I wanted him in my life and you could have that whenever you want. You can have God. You cannot have God for a very long time in your life, and then you can have him. It's not like God will ever deny you. You can deny God, but God will never deny you. And I think that's where the that's where the difference really is. Because who's gonna ever stop you from reading the Bible? You know, it's only yourself. No Mm. one else can actually stop you if you are not, you know, if you're willing. To find God, you know, you'll find him. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, right? Yeah. So if, if you, you know, if you're willing to find God at whatever cost, you know, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So you gotta, so you cannot really be denied by God. You can deny God, but you cannot really be denied by him. So when I was like coming back to God, I was just like seeking him with all my heart and I found him. So there was no, uh, there was no process of acceptance or rejection it was always acceptance
0: that's
1: awesome
0: yeah so one of the things i see happening here and Randy you're welcome to comment is peter was a broken man so peter peter was we've already talked about how courageous he was how committed he was he was one of the most committed disciples i mean yeah he stuck his foot in his mouth he made mistakes but at the end of the day even even when Jesus was arrested. I mean, he was the only one who pulled out his sword and was willing to defend and try to keep Jesus from being arrested. Now, again, at this point, he doesn't really understand that Jesus needs to go to the cross and that he's not a physical, um, he's not a political figure that's going to save the the Jews. He's a spiritual savior that needs to, to die for our sins. He didn't understand that. So, but you see his tremendous commitment and courage, but then he, but then he gets, he's incredibly broken because he, he denies Christ. And the thing that, you know, the thing that he said he would never do, he did. And so what I see here in this, in this, in this passage is when he says, you know, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's like what Peter's saying to to Jesus is, Peter's got himself to a point where he's like, Jesus, you know me better than I know myself. And you know that I love you. And, um, (laughs) And, you know, look at the third time in verse 17. It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So so basically, he's come to a point in his life, it's kind of a new level of spiritual maturity. And this is what I'm wondering if you guys can relate to, is that he's recognizing that Jesus knows him better than he knows himself. Because he thought he knew himself. He thought he would never deny Jesus. He thought he would never, you know, he was the most committed. But then he he becomes broken because he does the one thing that he said he would never do. So now he's come to a, a new point where he realizes that God, you know me better than I know myself. Have you guys ever thought of that? And and or what are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh okay, oh, go, go ahead. I feel like that is not just for Peter, but for everybody. Mm. You know, <laughs> we think like I mean, you know what's going on in your heart right now, right? I know what's going on. In my heart right now. Nobody else knows, but God knows. Mm. So mm. God, not just Peter, but pretty much Jesus knew everybody better than they knew themselves. And that's one of the reasons why he pointed him out that you know, you know, when when you grow older, you're gonna you're gonna be where you don't wanna be. So he yeah. knew it. He could that's you know, that's what I was talking about earlier. That's why Jesus was such a great teacher because he knew what's gonna happen. But he came down to the level of the other person's understanding to explain them in the best way possible. Instead of, you know, just like throwing all the information at once on them, that would like overwhelm everybody. So I think that's how I feel about it. Pretty much God knows us the best. Mm-hmm. Even, even the things that we don't know right now, because we cannot we cannot see the future, right? You cannot see the future but probably god knows it what's going to
0: happen to us tomorrow so but all throughout the bible we see people that think that they can like like jonah for example he thought he could run away from god he he, he thought you know god tells him i want you to go to nineveh and preach you know against that city and he goes the opposite direction and he actually thinks he can run away from God. Um, but it, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting thought that that Peter got himself to a new le- It's almost like he, he leveled up in his spiritual beliefs that, you know, Jesus, you know, me way better than I know myself. Mm-hmm. And you know, that I, you know, that I love you, Randy, you were going to make a comment a few minutes ago. Well, yeah. It-
1: I just think we if you go back when Jesus reinstates really them back to the the um the last supper before they go to Gethsemane in Matthew 26. Um Peter replies, Jesus tells Peter, You're gonna um this very night you will fall away on account of me. And Peter says, even if all fall away on account of me, I never will. He's comparing himself to everybody else. And I think when Jesus is reinstating him with that first time, it's because he does know him better. He's he's like, hey, Peter, do you still think you're better than everybody else? Like he's saying, do you love me more than all of these? He only asked that once. And I think it's because he, he's literally almost going back to that last supper and saying to Peter, Peter, um, remember when you said that you – even if everyone else falls away, you wouldn't like, and so he's giving him a chance to, uh, you know, to to reinstate himself, to come back, to, to claim that he wants to follow Christ. And one other quick thing I, I think is really significant is Jesus says over and over, he doesn't say feed your lambs. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep and that we are all his sheep. So, He's not saying, and so sometimes people involved in ministry see the folks as these are my people, that, you know, the my church or my my ministry. Um, and Jesus is saying, no, these, these are they're all mine. This is my my lambs, the ones I care for. These are the ones I love. And so, Peter, take care of the ones that I love, and I love that it's my sheep, my lambs, my yeah.
0: Yeah, that is, that is really cool. And that kind of reminds me of when they caught the 153 fish, um, you know, those were, in a sense, those were Jesus's fish too, Yeah, (laughs) you know, um, it's, yeah, let's talk about this. Like when he says, feed my lambs, um, you know, sometimes you, sometimes this kind of reminds me a little bit about John chapter three, when he had this conversation with Nicodemus and, you know, um, sometimes Jesus's responses can be confusing. So he says, yes, Lord, you know, that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Why did Jesus say to feed his lambs? What's he, what, I mean, obviously you just brought up the point that they're his lambs. Um, and this kind of ties into maybe the argument that when he said, Do you love me more than these? He's referring to the fish because he's he's now saying, I don't want you to love fish anymore, I want you to love my lambs, which are my people. Um, but and then you know, do you guys have any thoughts on it? He says, Feed my lambs the first time, then he says, Take care of my sheep. Um and then the third time he says feed my sheep um y- you know what what's happening there is is Jesus is not just not just reinstating uh Peter but he's is he recommissioning him yeah yeah, yeah.
1: and i think for them understand throughout the scripture for david was a shepherd psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i think the nation of Israel understood that I think these men understood when he's saying this in many ways, Jesus is actually claiming to be God. I mean, the God is the shepherd. And Jesus said, these are my sheep. These are my people, my lambs. These are the ones I love. And so I think um, you lay down your life for your sheep. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, and he is, I think he's commissioning them, um, back into ministry he's saying you're gonna you're gonna spend time taking care of people and feeding people, feeding them my word um so yeah yes but I think the people at the time that the idea of sheep and lambs was not formed. that's the Old Testament's filled with passages like that. so I think they would have understood that
0: yeah. All right, well, let's continue on. There's only a a little bit more left in this passage, in this chapter. So he, um, in verse 19, he he indicates what, oh, yeah, we should talk about this for a second. Um, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to (laughs) die, which (laughs) is kind of crazy. He says in verse 18, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, which stretching out your hands is like being on the cross. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Um, Yeah. So, Randy, what do we know about how Peter died?
1: Um, Well, uh, as history tells us, Peter died. He was crucified, and he was crucified. He chose rather than to be crucified the way that Jesus did. He chose. uh, His church history tells us that he was crucified upside down. That he felt like he didn't, he didn't. It wasn't up. He wasn't good enough to die the way Jesus did. So he he asked to be crucified to be crucified upside down. Which I've even tried to picture how that would have looked, but yeah um that's that's what church history tells us
0: yeah and that's and that's crazy so so then um it it goes on and he says in verse 19 jesus said this to indicate which kind of uh what kind of death by which peter would glorify god then he said to him follow me and then what does peter do and this is classic peter right here (laughs) (laughs) it really is classic peter i think he was a verbal processor I think he just kind of spoke what came <laughs> to his mind, which that's the way I am, too. I mean, yeah. um, where my wife, my wife, when she speaks, she's thought through what she's going to say. <laughs> and she comes. She's very wise where I I will process out loud. I will say things. And then two seconds, <laughs> two minutes later, I'll disagree with it. Um. So anyway, Peter turns in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John was following following them. this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord who's going to betray you when Peter saw him he asked, Lord, what about him which is so funny that Peter did this. I mean uh it's just it's just so funny that and then Jesus answered in verse 22 um, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? you must follow me. Because of this, a rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? And then John talks about himself here. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And then I love verse 25, and it's the last verse of the book of the Gospel, John. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Oh, that is a really cool, cool verse. So in other words, Jesus did we you know, when we read the Gospels, we don't have every single thing that Jesus did. We only have a small portion of it, uh, just a, just a tiny bit. But um, let's go back to this like Peter's response and says, you know, what about him? Um, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this?
1: I I think Greg, uh, in a Bible I have, it's a quote by Swindoll, but Chuck Swindoll, but it says, we really only responsible to answer for ourselves. Like we, we're not to worry about what other people do or what they're, we're only to do the role that God has for us not the role. God has. And sometimes we can look at each other and say, "It's not fair. Like, how come they get that and I don't? Or how come they, everything's better for them? And our job is to do the role that God has prepared for us to do. And not to compare to everyone else, but to think through what is it, God? What is it you want me to do, God? What is my role here to do? How can I bring you glory and please you and um and we answer only for ourselves yeah and so when we stand before god have we done what he asked us to do and so i think i think because peter keeps like like i said all the way back in matthew where he was saying hey they can all follow, him but i won't he kept comparing himself and then he says uh you, you know um what Well, here, he's comparing himself again. And it's like, and Jesus is saying, hey, stop. Just focus on on who Just you're... Just follow
0: me. Yeah. Follow me, because he wants to set Peter free from the comparison game. Right. He wants Amen. to set people free from, you know, because if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, you're always going to compare yourself to people that are more successful, more, you know, have more things, have more money, have more... Oh, you know, but we're we're each running our own race, and like you said, like for us to really be set free, um, we need to just focus on Jesus. What do you think about that, Ali?
2: So, I think that's that's very true, right? Because it's just the human nature that we we end up comparing because i feel like we compare because we feel like we have not achieved as much as the other person has achieved so i think that's one of the reasons why we compare and that's what that's what really you know makes jesus special that he gives you he he treats every person as an individual and never compares because that's how it should be in, in life. Mm-hmm. You can you can like and this is an old example that my mom used to give to me where you know you look at your hand and not all the fingers are equal, but all of them are equally important. You know, you can the things that the index finger can do, maybe this cannot do. But what this can do, this cannot do. So I think that's why that's what
1: I that's how I look at it.
0: That's a great, that's a great illustration there. Um,
1: I agree, Ali. I think you're right. I think that is human nature. But sadly, when we compare it and everything to everybody else, so if Ali, if I'm constantly comparing myself to you and you have this incredible thing that happens in your life that's so great, instead of me being able to celebrate it. I'm bummed that it didn't happen to me because I'm busy comparing. And so when we're free of that, I can actually celebrate with you and enjoy your success because I'm free from it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's not like, uh you're not my competitor. You're my friend. And I'm, I want you, I want you to succeed as much as myself. And I think for us as followers of Christ, we want, you know, think of others as more important than yourselves is what Paul says in Philippians, and I think that's a great illustration of this, that we get to think about others and lift them up more than ourselves, so yeah, but I think you're right, it is part of uh, our nature, and sadly, I I think uh, Jesus can set us free from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, even for a very long time, even I compared myself to my other class fellows, or my other friends you always end up comparing and i think it's in some ways uh it's just human nature that you end up comparing
0: hmm yeah so when you read that statement when you read verse 22 it can seem a little harsh you know if i want him to remain until i return what is that to you you must follow me but i but i think it's sort of a compassionate statement too because he's basically saying, like I was saying before, you know, Peter, for you to be the per- for you to be the best version of yourself, you need to focus on me and not other people.
2: Yes. yep, that's I think that's how it should be looked at. But mm, it's also about like, if you look at it, Jesus is saying that, you know, if it doesn't matter to me, it should not matter to you. Mm. right so you follow you follow me you care about me you don't care about what everybody else is doing it's just like you know uh, like i said before he accounts for everybody individually just because he doesn't let the other person influence his decision because of that and i think it's just like typical human nature to do that right we we see that example every day especially now that i am in a class setting I see that example even more where the professor is like, you know, trying to teach somebody. And then every now and then the other student kind of intervenes. And then this the professor has to uh, be, become a great leveler to make every other student feel equally important, although they're not. I mean, some are more smart, some are, you know, not as smart, but the job of the professor is to level everybody. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here in some ways.
0: That's true. And here's another interesting uh, observation. In verse 23, it says, because of this, a rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. This was a conversation between eight people. There were the seven disciples and Jesus. And isn't it interesting that how this spread, like this conversation (laughs) spread, it became known um, so that it became this huge rumor that this guy, this disciple, John, who wrote the book, gospel, John, that he wasn't going to die, that he was going to somehow just keep living until Jesus returned. Um, I find that kind of fascinating. And again, when people tell you that the Bible is just a bunch of made up stories, why would you put that in there? Um, unless it happened like, um, it was such a, it was such a well-known rumor, um, that John put it in there because, you know, people were um, still talking about it. Um, So I I think that's interesting. Any thoughts, Randy?
1: Well, um, no, not necessarily anything new, but I think um, it's interesting to me how in the scriptures, if you were trying to write something and make something up, you would probably paint yourself in a really positive light, like you would want to show yourself to be, yet the disciples don't always come off, and they show who they really are, right? I mean, Peter is so compulsive, and he says things, and he jumps in, and, you know, um, he jumps in the water, and he starts to sink, and it just, it just, Thomas doubts him, and it goes on, right? There's all, James and John asked if they can sit on his right and his left. There's all these scenes like that. And I think to me, that just shows the reliability of the scriptures. That these people are not trying to put a fake. It's not like everything on Facebook is a happy picture of something incredible in my life. That's not really how life is. And I love how they write exactly who they are.
0: And, yeah, because... Um, yeah, because like like we said, so Peter goes through this whole thing about how much he loves Jesus and, you know, Jesus gently reinstates him and recommissions him. But then he turns around two seconds later and says, well, what about him? <laughs> like, it's just, it's just, it's, you know, why if, if and then Peter um oh. is like the superhero in the book of Acts. So, But so you still see that Peter is just a flawed human being, just like you, just like you and I are. Well, let's, um, let's wrap this up and look at the last verse, verse 25. I think this is fascinating. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Um, isn't that, isn't that an amazing, uh, verse so we, what he's saying is while john wrote the truth about jesus it's impo- it was impossible for him to write the whole truth about jesus um
2: i have a question
0: yeah so for
2: how long did jesus live on on, on this planet
1: randy how long did he live
2: yeah how long
1: did he live does anybody know that Um, Yeah, I mean... 33 years. 33, 33 and a half years, yeah. Because I think
2: my question is kind of related to uh, this passage because for those 33 years, I think he must have done a lot of stuff, right?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. But the first 30 years of his life, Ali, he was was sort of um, hidden. A normal human? Yeah, he was like a well, he was like a carpenter and um he wasn't, you know, it was only the last three years of his life where he made himself known to the world. Um but I mean obviously this is this statement is like hype what what is it, hyperbole.
2: Exaggerated. Is that what you're trying to say?
0: It's 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 a it's like a hyperbole. It's exaggerated, but I think it's also not exaggerated because we know that Jesus existed before he became human. He's always existed in eternity, and so in that mm-hmm. sense, I mean, I mean, yeah,
2: he's doing things right now.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can't, right. yes. you can't write enough books about God to explain Him. You know,
2: yeah, there's so much I,
0: about I, God that we don't know.
2: That is true. That is, I, I, I always say that because. I think God has only given us that much intelligence right his existence no. and his being it, I feel like you know when sometimes people ask critical questions about God and they they you know try and find answers which they cannot find I I feel like you got to give that uh, and you got to say that that's above my pay grade
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> because well, you
2: cannot understand that part because God has not given you the intelligence to understand that part
0: so I think that part of what he's saying here, this last verse is that there's much more about Jesus than we know. That's true. And so it's okay for us as followers of Jesus, when somebody asks us a question to say, I don't know, like, we don't have to have all the answers, because there's so much about Jesus that I still don't know. Yes, I'm still learning. Yeah. Like, I'm, I still need to keep following Jesus, because I, you know, there's not a, you never get to the point where you're, where you come to the point in your life where you're like, I know everything about Jesus. That's impossible.
2: Yes. I mean, if you just look at nature, right, there are so many things in nature that you can explain how they're happening. You know, science can explain how they're happening, but they cannot explain why they're happening. I think that is beyond our intelligence. It's you cannot understand that you that's god's work and you leave it at that that's how i feel about it
0: like i've heard that scientists who um the scientists that um are experts in like the microscopic stuff yeah. that most of them are believers in god and also the scientists that that examine the macro stuff like like yeah. the stars and the universe They tend to be believers in God.
2: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the other day I was having a conversation with one of my friends and I was like, God knew that we're going to need water. I think water is one of the greatest gifts of God. I mean, just Mm -hmm. look at water. How much do we depend on water in everyday life? We drink it. We use it to clean ourselves. Right. Water goes in our food. Without water there would be no plants. So we cannot have food. So how did God come up with this? Who can come up with this idea? I don't think a human can come up with an idea to create water. God created water, right? It That's can right. only be it can only be a super being like him who could think of water and he could think that if I'm putting people on this planet, they're gonna need
0: water. And you know what? Our bodies are 70% water. So that means that yeah. means we're this close to drowning.
1: <laughs> you know, Ollie, don't laugh. Don't laugh Ollie. Um it's a good one. <laughs> oh no, no, no.
0: We're this close to drowning. No, we heard it
1: the first time, Greg. No, right. but I was gonna say, you know, here's an amazing thing, Ali. Think about this with water. Water is so unique, you know, it's the only element I believe uh, that in its solid form it floats so yes. like everything else in the solid form it'll sink so water three forms gas and vapor solid ice ice floats if yeah. ice did not float it would sink to the bottom yeah. build up and all life on this planet would not exist right because the they in a, within a few years the entire planet will be frozen yeah. But because ice floats, it doesn't go down to the bottom. It doesn't stay frozen, and so it will melt. And so that means that there can be life on the planet. And it's like someone even thought of that.
2: You see, that is like beyond a, a human mind cannot think that far. It has to be. It has to be God. So you know, that's like every now and then I get into an argument, not an argument, but like I get into a discussion with people who are not believers. I I tell them, just look around you. Like Just one day, wake up in the morning and look around you. and The creation that you're living in has you yourself as a wonder. Of course, God created all of us. But if you just look around yourself, you have to believe in God. There's no way you can deny God. Just look around you. All this has been created by God. And it's just perfect because everything that we need exists on this planet. And he knew that.
0: That's great. That's a great, great. Uh, that's a great way to look at life. And um, yeah, I have a friend who said a similar thing. He goes, whenever I start um, feel like I'm away, far from God, I just look at my hand. I just stare at my hand, yeah. and I just think all that went into making my fingers move, and
2: right. and
0: the intricacies of the human hand yeah. are just crazy. And in, in the human eyeball, and there's just so, so much you can marvel at. Yeah. And I remember actually, Ali, before you started following Jesus, you and I used to talk a lot about nature. Yes. Yeah. And I'm a nature lover. Yeah. Well, and we, and we, and what what impressed me is how you saw God in nature. Yes. Um, and
2: I think that's what, and, and
0: we being ourselves,
2: one of his greatest creation, right? Humans have not been able to emulate a human being yet, you know, (laughs) and I don't think they'll ever be able to create another human being. But that's how that's how I look at it. You know, if you want to people ask for proofs, right? People ask, so prove me that God exists. You just have to look at yourself in the mirror or even if that's not enough, you just look up in the sky. Who else who else can create? such a wonder it has to be god it has to be a higher power i mean let's if it's if you know calling him god is too far you have to believe that we are on this planet and there is a reason and there is a there is a a creator you cannot deny the fact that there is not a creator for all of this
0: amen so with that i'm just gonna that last verse and there are also so many other things that Jesus did which if they were recorded one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace.
1: See you next time.